Hello, welcome to episode five of the podcast. I'm your host. You can call me Dexter. Today, we're going to talk about food and catering on set. An army marches on its stomach and a film crew is effectively an army. Welcome to Background Noise. First, a little story for you. I was lucky enough to work on Netflix's series The Crown. As you may or may not know, the production is based in Elstree Studios in North London, where they shot Star Wars. And indeed, one of the main sets is built on the George Lucas stage there. The George Lucas stage was built in 1999, and it's a huge building at the far end of the Elstree site. It's actually two separate sound stages which back onto each other and have a long connecting corridor running alongside both of them. In stage one, the George Lucas stage, is the interior of Buckingham Palace's private residence, and on stage two, for a section of the year, is the set for BBC's Strictly Come Dancing. Early in season one of filming for The Crown, I was sent to stage one for a couple of days. There was I, alongside several of the background, dressed up in some striking royal household livery, all bright and noticeable, and we were doing what a lot of background do, which is wait. They were shooting something inside which didn't need my character, so I was standing outside the entrance to the main corridor, chatting and drinking one of a thousand cups of tea or coffee that would get drunk on a typical day at Elstree. Suddenly a Range Rover pulled up and out got radio presenter Jeremy Vine. He walked past, said hello and went in. Strange, but not that strange. A moment or two later, another Range Rover. This time, Kelly Bright from EastEnders got out. She walked past and smiled. A minute or two later, it was Helen George from Call the Midwife. Over the next 30 minutes or so, every celebrity, dancer, judge and presenter from Series 13 of Strictly Come Dancing arrived for the pre-recorded first episode of that season. Many of them stopped and said hello, some of them smiled and acknowledged us. Ainsley Harriet chatted and had his picture taken with us. He's really nice, he's Ainsley. But do you know who were the only two who wafted past without even acknowledging us? Claudia Winkleman and Tess Daly. Totally blanked us. Imagine that. Stick around to hear about an instance where catering on a set didn't quite live up to the expected standards. But first we'll talk about catering in general. As I mentioned at the top of the show, an army marches on its stomach, which sounds really odd when you say it that way. Surely they march on their feet. Anyway, catering is crucially important for anyone working in the film industry. The hours are long and the days are relentless, so catering is something which, for the most part, is provided by the production company as a matter of course. When you arrive at unit base in the morning, you'll be given breakfast. This will usually be a full cooked breakfast if you want it, but you can settle for porridge, yogurt, croissants, etc., depending on the production's budget. At lunchtime, you'll be fed again. This will be a full meal, including a dessert and salad, and as background, you'll usually be given a full hour to eat this. In the later afternoon, a round of sandwiches and snacks will come round for everyone to keep you going. If production is running longer than 12 hours, then a further meal will be provided. This is usually pizza or something similar. There's also tea and coffee running all day, although it might just be Nescafe from a bottle and hot water from an urn. If you want the good Jamaican Blue Mountain, you'll need to bring your own and a cafetiere. Quite a few people do that. And we've got fruit, usually supplied for you all day as well, so there's no excuse not to be fed when you're on a film set. However, it does come with a price. The price of being fed on a film as background is that you're usually the last to get food. If you're shooting, say, a series such as The Crown and you're on location at Lancaster House in the Mall, the catering will be provided from a catering truck located nearby. When lunch is called, there's usually a rush for the food, but the crew have to get their food first. The reason for this, so they say, is that they don't get a full hour for lunch. They get to eat and go back to prep for the next shot or scene. 
and background have the full hour. That's not strictly true. The real reason is that they don't want to get to the front of the queue and find out that the food option they want is out of stock because someone in the background got the last one. Remember what I said in an earlier episode about background being thought of as the lowest of the low? As a result, we might be in the queue and just about to be served lunch and any member of the crew can push in ahead of you, take the last spare rib, chicken goujon or veggie falafel on the menu and you just have to take this. What this means, however, is if there are a lot of background and a lot of crew, as there will be on a big budget Hollywood movie, there's a chance you'll get to the catering truck and there'll be very little left to eat. What many large productions do, however, is that they provide separate catering for the background. They put up large marquees and bring in special catering trolleys with those little burners underneath to keep the food warm. The cast and crew get their food in their area and the background get their food in their marquee. The problem with this is that it creates an us and them mentality. This is often reinforced by the sort of food being served. According to union regulations, cast and background do not have to have the same menus. They must, however, have catering which is to the same standard as each other. In theory, it means if the crew gets spare ribs and dauphinoise potatoes, the background should get high quality meat and prepared vegetables. In practice, it means the cast and crew get first class catering and the background get whatever catering can provide that will feed us but not cost them too much. And here's where the problem starts. If you complain, then you might get to eat the food the crew get, but you'll also be reported back to your agency as a troublemaker. Plus, the production isn't going to completely change the catering overnight just because you've complained, so nothing will change. At the end of the day, it all comes down to money. There might be 85 cast and crew to feed on a typical production, but that same production might have 150 or 200 backgrounds to feed. From a cost point of view, it's easier to get a nice, cheap, mass-produced curry or cheap chicken dish with al dente carrots and frozen peas for the background than it is to get something nice that they serve the crew. To be fair, this doesn't happen a great deal. What's more insidious is when the food you get is the same, but cast and crew get extras such as nice filtered coffee and ice creams and little extras that the background aren't entitled to. That hurts. Also, if you're at a studio with on-site catering facilities, the production is not obliged to feed you. They are obliged to give you time for food, but this can be for you to buy yourself from the restaurant. Every time I go to work on EastEnders in BBC Elstree, I end up having to buy my own lunch in the restaurant there. Sure, it's quite cheap, but it's nowhere near as good as the catering you'd get when the same production goes on location and has to provide the food for you. If you're ever at Warner Brothers Studio in North London, which is the Harry Potter studio, they have a fantastic restaurant there on site, and they even had that when it was the old studio before Warner Brothers bought it and rebuilt it. But it can get really busy at lunchtime if there are several productions shooting at the same time. So beware of that. Story time. I worked on season one of Good Omens. That was a troubleshoot by all accounts with bad weather adding to the list of, of issues they were encountering during production. The day I was there, we were based at an actual physical building. And what this means is that they had set up the base inside the building rather than outside in, uh, in the fresh air. And catering was in the trolleys that I mentioned earlier with the little burners underneath. It also meant that we had proper toilets instead of the mobile honey wagons. Again, you don't want to know why they call them honey wagons, especially not when we're talking about food. The key thing about the tale I'm about to tell you is that production had already changed their caterers twice in the few weeks they'd already been filming. So they were now on their third catering company. Anyway, one day at lunchtime, I bolted down my food and headed to the toilet. 
As I entered the facility, there were urinals over to one side, cubicles directly ahead of me, and sinks over to the other side. One of the cubicles was occupied when I arrived. I did what I needed to at the urinal and headed over to the sink to wash my hands. At that moment, the cubicle door swung open and out walked one of the caterers. He was still wearing the blue latex gloves that catering staff have now started wearing. He headed across to the sinks next to me and, just as I thought he was going to wash his hands, he admired himself in the mirror, ran his latex gloved hands through his greasy hair and walked out. So not only had he kept his gloves on while taking a dump, he'd not washed them afterwards and just run them through his hair. I remind you that this was the third catering company to be engaged on this show. Thanks for listening. This has been Background Noise.